0: Let's get to it. Why don't you turn with me to Daniel chapter six. There was a guy who uh, saw an ad in the paper for a job at the city zoo, and he was excited. He thought, man, working for the zoo, that sounds like a fun deal. And so he went down, interviewed, and they said, man, you got the job. And he said, yeah, but what's the job description? They said, oh, well, um, I know this is a little weird, but um, our gorilla, that's kind of our number one attraction, he died. He died. And we don't have a replacement yet, so what, what we need you to do is, we got this really authentic gorilla outfit that we we want you to wear. And all you gotta do is just sit in there and eat and lay down and take naps and stuff, you'll be fine. And the guy's like, uh, okay. And so he dressed up like the gorilla, and it was, this was a legitimate like, outfit. Gets in there and just kinda sits around, and. You know, he's just eating bananas and stuff. And it seemed like the more he moved around, the little kids would go, oh, mommy, look. You know, and he started, you know, moving around and flipping around bananas. And and then, you know, the, the more he did, crowds started gathering and he thought, this is pretty cool, you know. Um, he even got the, the boldness to grab the vine that in the, the, the former gorilla uh, would swing from. So he started swinging on the vine and now that's when the crowds would go wild. And he kind of started getting used to it, liking the applause and all that. One afternoon, he was really swinging on the vine. When, the, when he was up high, the, the vine snapped and he flew over the cage into the, 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 the pin next door to the gorilla You know, thing. It was where the lion was. And the gorilla guy is like, and the lion starts walking toward him slowly, and the gorilla's is like, "Help! I'm, I'm not a gorilla! Help! 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 Help!" You know, and he just and everybody's freaking out, like, "What?" And the and, and he said, "I'm a man! Help me out!" Well, the lion came running up and pounced on the guy, pinned him to the ground, and then the lion said, "Be quiet! You're going to get us both fired." <laughs> we have before us the story of Daniel and the lion's den. See, smooth segue right there. Tell you what. Um, Yeah, Uh, it's a great story. Uh, One of the truly great stories of the Bible. Uh, But here's the thing. I'm not gonna cover the story until Wednesday night. This story is a great one. And you don't wanna miss Wednesday night. If you can't be here, that's okay. You can watch live at seven o'clock on Wednesday night online. But um, it's a story you don't wanna miss. But I, I often take a small verse from our upcoming study. And I think there's a verse here that I'd love for us to look at kind of first sort of devotionally, but then I speak, I think, believe it speaks to the days we're living, and it gives us maybe some answers and some things to think about, about some of the most controversial things we're facing today. Um, so that's the goal, two separate sort of uh, objectives with one single verse. And it's Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Let's take a look. Daniel 6, 10. It says in verse 10, now, when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. What's the scene here? Some of you are like, okay, great, Daniel. An old, old dude went and prayed uh, the end. What's, what's so big about that? Well, here's the thing. Uh, this verse, actually, when you realize the context of what's happening here, this is pretty amazing. You see, in our studies previous, we've seen the first four chapters of the book of Daniel were under the rulership of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And then last week we saw a bunch of kings come and go, and eventually the Babylonian king Belshazzar was in charge of the city of Babylon, king of Babylon. But as you know, um, he lost the kingdom to the Medo-Persian empire. And it was during that time, the ruler named Darius um, was the guy who now is in charge or king of Babylon, and we saw that transition Wednesday night and last Sunday. Now, as it turns out, we're going to find out that Daniel and Darius actually become friends. One thing about Daniel is you'll see that he constantly is blessed; he's always doing well, and people seem to like Daniel. The, the Bible talks about how there was an excellent spirit about Daniel, and uh, I love that about Daniel. And the whole this whole story, it's it's pretty cool. Just Daniel as a man is kind of impressive, but. The problem is Daniel did have enemies. When you are successful or when you're doing something good, there's always going to be the critics, the cynics, the haters. And Daniel has a group. They're all the wise men, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, the magicians of Babylon. They were all jealous because Daniel just keeps getting favor everywhere he looks. And even Darius, the new Medo-Persian king is liking Daniel. So these guys are jealous and they're upset. So they The Bible tells us seek to find occasion against Daniel of something sinful that he had done. And so they look into his life, but as it turns out, Daniel's just an upstanding guy. They can't find one thing in Daniel's life that's wrong, sinful, weird. So they think, now what are we gonna do? And they, they came up with a dastardly plan. They said, well, the one thing we do see Daniel do is he's constantly praying to his God. Let's get him on that one. Um, and so what they did, well, as it turns out, they, they figured out a way to sort of trick Darius into dooming Daniel. And here's how they did that. They said, Darius, oh, great king, live forever, Mr. Wonderful. We love you. We think you're so amazing. We want to make a law. And we want to sign into law where people can only pray to you. They cannot pray to their God. They can only pray to you, oh, Darius, great king, live forever. And Darius like, Cool. Sounds like a good idea. People praying to me. And so Darius signs the decree. Now, one thing you should know about the Medo-Persian Empire. I told you that the uh, Babylonian Empire was an absolute monarchy. That means when the king says something, you got to do it. Poke his eyes out. They poke his eyes out. Uh, You know, uh, chop off his head. They chop off his head. Like absolute monarchy. Well, the Medo-Persians, they were a constitutional monarchy, which means the monarch was powerful, but even he had to abide by the constitution of the Medo-Persians. But the thing is, don't think they were like, God bless America, constitutionalists. That's not the way they were. The king could still say, poke out his eyes and sign that into law and poke out everybody's eyes. If you have blue eyes, we're gonna poke them out. He could still do that. So it was still very powerful and, and scary, but even once the king signed something into law under their constitution, even the king had to abide by that law. So these wise men of you know, Babylon, they said, let's get him to sign a law that will guarantee Daniel's doom. So let's make it to the prayer thing. And so, so only you can pray to Darius the king and Darius signs it into law. And now Daniel, that's where this verse, when we, when we start out with this, you know, Daniel 6.10, it starts with this. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, so he, he's aware. Oh, and by the way, I didn't tell you. They said, you gotta sign this. And also, if you, if you pray to any other God, you'll be thrown in the lion's den. The Babylonians, uh, really all the people throughout history had things where they fed people to animals, um, like Rome, or there's a lot of places where you, they'd throw people to lions or wild beasts. They used to wrap people up, Christians, in, you know, animal, you know, moist animal skins that are still dripping with blood. They'd wrap the Christians in that, and then they'd put, you know, hundreds of dogs out and make the dogs eat up these people. Like, horribly gross stuff in history. But the Babylonians, it was an art form to them. They had a bunch of lions, you know, in their, in their little kennel, and they would, they would keep them strong and healthy, but then they would take a group of three or four of them and starve them for several days, and then they'd put him in the lion's den where they'd throw people. And history tells us that you know that the lions, before the, the, the bodies of these people would even, they'd throw them in, before they even hit the ground, the lions would eat them like a little snack. Um, it was grotesque and it was a grisly, horrible way to die. And so that's, that's what Daniel's facing. You can't pray. And Daniel, the first thing he does, goes into his house, opens windows, kneels on his knees and starts praying to his God. Now, when I'm looking at a passage devotionally, I like to always ask the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Do you guys ever do that when you're reading a scripture? I think it's kind of a neat way, if, you, if you're ever studying a story, who, what, when, where, why, and how, and let's do that. We'll do that first, then we'll get into some of the, a little more of the, the, um, the question of the day. So first of all, let's talk about the who. The who, and we're not talking about the band. Um, it's Daniel 6.10, the who. Who was Daniel praying to? Now, you might say, but that's obvious. He was praying to Jehovah the God of the Jews. But, but I wanna make a couple observations because it says that Daniel knelt upon his knees and, and he, he prayed before God, before his God. I think that's important. You, you might think just kind of initially, Daniel's making a show of it. See you at the pole. Uh, National day of prayer. Uh, 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 marching in rebellion. What I love about this is Daniel, while you might say he's being rebellious, he is just doing something he always did. He was just praying, what he always did. We'll talk about that in a second. But notice the scripture here, says he was praying before his God. Remember that when you, when you pray, there's a little lesson to learn. Um, have you ever been in a prayer group praying with some people? And, and some people are praying, but it's like they're talking to the people in the group, not to the, the Lord. Um, they're communicating. Oh Lord, I, I pray that you'd bless so-and-so their struggle with Pornography. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and boy, I know that their marriage is in trouble and like gossip central. Christians have learned how to gossip during prayer. You're talking to men and that's evil and wrong. Um, Daniel's not making a show before men. It says he prayed before his God. Um, by the way, uh, maybe it's not the gossip. Maybe it's just to think how people think you're holy. And, and you like to pray because people, wow, they're really holy. And, and not only that, they pray in King James English. That must be a really holy, Lord, thou didst sustaineth all things. No, that doesn't make the Lord hear you. In fact, remember what Jesus said, and you can jot this down in your notes, but Matthew chapter six, verses five through eight. You know, When thou prayest, Jesus said, thou shalt not be like the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you that they have their reward, but you, When you pray, enter into your closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which sees you in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you even ask him." Don't you love that? Jesus says, man, don't be praying in front of people to be seen of men. That'll be your reward. People patch, you, wow, you're an amazing prayer. That's all you get. That's your reward. But if you're closing your closet door and you're praying to the Lord, the Lord says, when you pray in secret, I'll reward you openly. There's so much here. Not to pray with vain repetition, you know, and with many words, thinking that God will hear you because you're talking so much. Um, you know, I think some of the most fervent prayers. I've heard, came from a, a Christian who was a brand new believer who didn't know Christianese, you know, how to say words, you know, that were very prayerful. And I think the Lord honors those prayers. Be careful. Don't think that God hears you. Some, some of you are afraid to pray publicly because you're afraid you might say something theologically incorrect. Uh, man, I'm not, I'm not gonna pray because, man, what a, Do you realize that God sees your heart and knows what your intentions are? My daughter up here, Brooke, she's... Um, one of the more intelligent people I've ever known. Uh, very, very smart. And she acquired language at a very early age. Like she was a little walking encyclopedia as a little three-year-old. It was kind of amazing. Um, but I still remember in all of her intelligence, I remember her first word, the first word that I remember. I don't remember, Debbie would tell you what her first word is. I'm sure she'll say it's mommy. But, um, uh, and maybe it was, I don't know. But, but the word I remember is mingy. You say, Brett, what's mingy? Well, as it turns out, Brooke, at the very first, this tiny, tiny little baby, she's like, she knew that her little sippy cup was her mingy for some reason. And we knew as parents, she said, mingy. We're like, oh, gee, that's so cute. We didn't, I did not go to her and say, you little idiot. This is not a mingy. This is a sippy cup. Hello. Like, I didn't do that as a father. Um, some of you think that's what God does when you're praying. Hello, idiot. Don't you, don't you read your Bible? Like God is not that, God loves us as little children and and we're fathers that are evil, the Bible says. God is love. And so when Brooke would say that little word, mingy, I remember Debbie like, oh, that's so cute. And we still give her a hard time about it to this very day. Because it was so cute. I'm sure she's glad I'm telling the story even right now. (laughs) But here's the thing. When when you pray, you don't have to impress God with your knowledge, because that's not impressive. You can just come humbly. Uh, anyway, I love Daniel. He, he's not praying before men, but he's number one, praying before God. The second part of this, you know, the who question, who is Daniel praying to? I love that he's not just praying before a God. That's what the Babylonians would do or the Medo-Persians, they pray to a God or various gods. I love that he wasn't just praying to a God. I also love that he wasn't just praying to the God. You might say, well, that's good, Brett, if Daniel's praying to the God, but that's not what the text tells us here. Um, in this question, on you know, the who question, he's praying, the second consideration, he's praying before his God. Daniel had a personal relationship with the true and living God. And it wasn't just a God, it wasn't just the God, which is a step in the right direction, but it was his God. Um, Daniel had a personal relationship with God. Brett, are you suggesting that we can have a relationship with God? Absolutely. The world will actually mock this. Why you think God listens to your prayers? Who are you? There's you know, almost 8 billion people on this planet. You think God has time for you? Well, those of you that know what the Bible says about God, God is infinite. He is not spread thin in any way, shape, or form. And the math works out. If you take an infinite number and you divide that by any number, the the quotient will always be infinity. So God could give you his infinite, undivided attention. That's who God is. He's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's uh, omniscient. All of the, he's just all-encompassing. God doesn't lack for anything. That's why you can have a personal relationship with God. Now there is something that I need to say that will not allow that to happen, and that is your sin. If you sin, you're separated from God. The Bible teaches that over and over again. Well, Brett, then I'm toast. I don't have a relationship with God. But good news, God reconciled us to himself. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. The rest of the Bible is about how God reconciles humanity back, the sinfulness of humanity that's been separated from God. The rest of the Bible is about how God says, I'm going to save you. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's you, believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We're reconciled. There's no, by the way, there's no um, remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his innocent blood is what makes it so we can have that personal relationship with God. Now I have to ask you, if you claim to have a personal relationship with God, at what point does it act actually become personal? Do you, can you say, well, this is when my, my relationship with God is very personal. I have personal time with the Lord. Daniel could say that. He's praying to his God, a very personal relationship. I love that. That's the who question. Question number two, you got the who, the what, when, where, why, and how? Well, the second one is the what. What was Daniel praying? What was the content of his prayer? Well, as it turns out, we don't really know the full content. Some of you might be thinking, well, maybe he's praying that the lions aren't that hungry. Or maybe he's praying that, you know, nobody will see that he's praying. Or I don't know what he's praying, but, but the Bible does give us a little bit. It says, and he prayed and he gave thanks. I think that's cool that the Bible gives us that much about what Daniel was praying. At least we know he was thanking the Lord. Now, here's where it gets really weird. What in the world was Daniel thankful for? He's, he, he was, his parents were slaughtered. He was dragged from Jerusalem, his hometown, to Babylon where he was in captivity. He's been treated crazily by the various kings that have come and gone. He's already been threatened several times to have his life you know chopped up into pieces and his house made it up dunghill. He's already had friends thrown in a fiery furnace. Like, like Daniel's lived pretty rough at this point. Uh, and he could be moaning and groaning right now about, man, they make it illegal to pray. And I can't pray now, woe is me, woe is he, woo, woo. Some of you are like that, right? But Daniel, he's praying, oh, Lord, thank you. What is he thanking the Lord for? Um, he's headed for the lion's den for crying out, Don. What is he thanking the Lord for? Well, I think Daniel got what the New Testament tries to teach you and me, and that is, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. First Thessalonians five 18. We're supposed to be thankful for everything. And I think there's something here that is a good lesson. The mature believer, the Daniel level Christian, is the one that thanks the Lord before the answers come. That's the the kind of guy Daniel is. He's thanking the Lord before he's delivered from the the mouth of lions. He's thankful before Israel gets let go and back to the land of Jerusalem and Israel. He's thankful before the answer comes. I I love him for that. You know, there's so many examples in the Bible of people that were blessed and the Lord brought them through difficult times. And most people will thank the Lord after they're helped and, and you know, delivered, but fewer will actually thank the Lord before the deliverance comes. Um, I'm reminded of the children of Israel. Uh, there they were encamped in Exodus chapter uh, you know, 14 and 15, they were encamped between Mount Pihiroth and Migdol, and their backs to the Red Sea, they're trapped, and Pharaoh's army's coming after them. And, and what are they saying? Oh Lord, we thank you for de- the deliverance we're about to receive. Is that what they were saying? No. They were saying, You brought us out here to die in the wilderness, you, you're, they're going to kill us by the edge of the sword. They were whining and moaning and groaning, groaning about what was happening. Now, I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying, if they were really tuned in to the fact that the Lord had already delivered them from Egypt, that they were already delivered from slavery, that God was already really faithful, they could have, if they were mature, they could have said, Lord, we thank you for whatever deliverance you have for us this day. But they were whining and gro- 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 groaning and moaning. And then Moses had to say, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You know the story. Moses sticks out his rod over the sea and the Red Sea opens up. Now, it's not just a little creek. This is a big ocean. I've, I've done some serious scuba diving in all over the Red Sea, down in Egypt and, and even um, up in Israel and around that area. And it's, it's like Caribbean quality scuba diving. It's great uh, down there, but it's a serious ocean. I looked for chariot wheels, never found them. Um, I did find an old Firestone tire there once. Um, not chariot wheels. But, um, but it, it's something to actually see the Red Sea and actually scuba dive in it and realize at one point this water parted and the people went through. That's amazing. But the people were still freaking out. Moses, the, the Egyptians are coming. They're coming through the water too. And they're freaking out still. And you know the story. The water crushes over the Egyptian army. They all drown. The Bible says their bodies washed up on the shore, dead. I like guess a crazy story. Then... In Exodus chapter 15, uh, what happens? Miriam, you know, Moses' sister, and a bunch of the ladies bust out their tambourines and start thanking the Lord and dancing and singing. And Moses sings a song, um, uh, the Lord has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. They're all worshiping the Lord and celebrating. And, and that's good, that's good. But wouldn't it have been awesome had they busted out in the praise and the worship on the other side of the Red Sea, before the deliverance came, that, that'd be a whole other level. That's Daniel level kind of faith right there, where he was thanking the Lord long before the deliverance came. So um, that's what we have here. We have the who, the what, um, you know, what Daniel was praying. He was giving thanks before the deliverance came. And that brings us to the when. Who, what, when. When did Daniel pray? Well, as it turns out, he prayed three times a day. Uh, that's kind of an interesting model. Um, you know, uh, the, the, I think Daniel's being biblical here. The psalmist wrote this, and, and, you know, of course, Psalm 55, verses 16 through 17. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me evening, morning, and at noon, um, he says, will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Oh, uh, Pastor Brett, they got the order wrong. It should be morning, noon, and evening. Um, this is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, did you know the Hebrew people don't look at it the way we do? The beginning of the day for the Jew, even to this day in Israel, uh, is, is evening, then morning, then noon. That's the order of their day. Um, that's why the Sabbath day, if you're in Jerusalem and you think the Sabbath day starts Saturday morning, you're wrong. The Sabbath day and all the stores close, the elevators stop working and all that stuff, that, that happens Friday night at sundown because that's when their days begin. So the Jews look at this and this is part of the Jewish behavior to pray evening, morning, and noon. And I I think it's a good practice. I wouldn't be legalistic about it. But when did Daniel pray? He prayed evening, morning, and noon. Good practice. Uh, Man, if you're a husband and a wife, why why wouldn't you start your day together just with a short prayer? That's a good way to go, man. The husband, wife, the marriage that prays together stays together. I I believe that. Um, Why wouldn't you start your day with that? You know, whichever one of you leave first, just go find the other person, grab the hand and just pray a simple prayer. It doesn't have to be a long, remember the Lord doesn't hear you for your much speaking, your eloquent words and your King James prayer. Just simple, simple, Lord, bless our day. Go before us in everything we do. Keep our kids safe. Um, Bring us home safe at the end of the day. Amen. Like it doesn't have to be a fancy long prayer, but pray together morning. And then noon, at lunch, you high school kids, junior highers, why wouldn't you pray it? Well, Brett, I, what am I gonna do? Get on my knees like Daniel and pray toward Jerusalem? In the cafeteria? <laughs> Some of you are horrified of your friends at school thinking of you praying. It's, have you ever done the old, uh, look at what's in your lunch bag trick? You know, like, oh, I wonder what I have for lunch today. Dear Lord, thank you for this food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, peanut butter and jelly, yeah, awesome. Uh, you don't have to do that. Um, you don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to kneel. You can walk down the hall at school and just say, I'm gonna carve out a quick walk on my way to my next class, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray. Uh, just ask, ask the Lord simple things for help with things you're working on, for friends that are angry at you, for people in your school that are unsaved. But morning, noon, and then at nighttime, before you go to bed, just offer prayer. Pray for, for forgiveness, all the stuff you did during the day. Um, you can start fresh and go to bed with a good conscience as you seek the Lord. But this is a good model for us, morning, uh, noon, and evening, or as the Jews would say it, evening, morning, and noon. Who, what, when, and then number four, where. Where did Daniel look when he prayed? What direction was he looking? It says here in our text that he went into his house, opened up his windows, uh, and offered his prayer and he was facing toward Jerusalem. Well, what was Daniel? Was he some Muslim? Isn't that a Muslim thing to pray three times a day and kneel toward the city, except a little different city, Mecca. They pray toward Mecca. Now you say, what's the deal with that? Well, don't forget, Islam stole a lot of things from the Christian and Hebrew Bible. You have to understand that. Islam wasn't even around until 600 years after Jesus came on the scene. And, um, and by the way, this idea of praying toward Mecca, they stole this from the Jews. Well, Brett, are you suggesting that the Jews pray toward Jerusalem? Not, not that often, but did you know there's actually a time that was, they were told they were supposed to do this? And the reason I point this out is I wanna show you that Daniel was a man of the word. He knew what he was supposed to do. It, as it turns out, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 44, um, requires the Jews, when they were in battle or in captivity, they were supposed to pray toward the holy city of Jerusalem where the temple sat. Um, This is where it says that, if thy people go out to battle against their enemy, whithersoever thou shalt send them and shall pray to the Lord toward the city which thou hast chosen, Jerusalem, and toward the house that I have built, the temple, um, you pray for thy name, then then the Lord says, I will hear those prayers. Daniel's just being a biblical guy. He's doing what the Bible told him to do as a Jew. So no, as a Gentile, you don't have to pray toward Jerusalem. Uh, You don't even have to do it three times a day. But I do think that prayer is really powerful. And I love that Daniel is a guy who's doing what the Bible calls him to do. He's praying toward Jerusalem, just like the scriptures required of him. Number five, who, what, when, where, and why? Why was Daniel praying? Let's ask that question. Um, uh, it, it says here, um, he, you know, you might, before we see the answer, you, you, you actually might say, well, of course he's praying because he's gotta show that he's enacting his civil disobedience. Is that what he was doing? Was he on display saying, Watch this, Mr. You know, sign, only pray to me, Darius? I'm going to you know, blow you off and I'm going to show you my you know, civil disobedience. That's not what he was doing. Um, uh, what he was doing, he was, he was praying, and here's how it says it in the King James as he did aforetime. That's just a fancy way of saying as he did it before. Your newer translations, what does it say? As he did previously, I think, NIV as he did previously. Daniel was a guy who was just doing what he always did. Um, He wasn't, you know, adjusting his behavior based on the law that was signed. He was just saying, I'm gonna do what I've always done. I'm not even gonna skip a beat. He wasn't doing it to be seen of men, but he was doing it to be uh, faithful to what he always did. He was just a man of prayer long before the illegal prayer mandate came out. I love that. The, the why here is pretty cool about Daniel. Um, by the way, um, I love that Daniel was doing this. Uh, he had a habit of praying. That's, that's the first thing we notice about this. But you know, he's also an old guy. By this time, he's close to 80-something. He's in his mid-80s. There's something about the older we get, we start to wane on things spiritual, especially the more successful we are. You know, the more we got things going on, our prayer life can tend to suffer because why pray? Things are working out good. I love that Daniel, the older he gets, the more he seems to be fervent in prayer. And and, and you got to remember, Daniel had been advanced career-wise several times. Remember, he was made second in command under Nebuchadnezzar. Man, he was large and in charge. But one thing we see is his prayer life doesn't suffer. Daniel's outward advancement did not lead to his inward decline. Do you understand that? And I hope as you grow more successful and wealthy and happy and get things that you want, that your prayer life doesn't start to falter. Here's a dead giveaway. You kind of forget to pray a lot and then something really bad happens to you and suddenly you're fasting and praying. Have you ever done that where you're like, oh man, I should have been fasting and praying long before this one. But you kind of catch yourself, man, I've, I've just stopped praying. Daniel was not that guy. Why was Daniel praying? It's because it's what he did. He wasn't moved by the signing of the law. He was moved by just doing what he always did. I love that about Daniel. Number six, how was Daniel praying? Here here we go, we got the who, what, when, where, why, and now the how. How was he praying? I think this matters. It says, um, as it turns out, he was kneeling upon his knees. Um, Hold on a second here, Um, gotta get kinda caught up. How was he praying? Um, As it turns out, he was kneeling upon his knees. I think this is an interesting posture of prayer. That kind of raises a question, what's the correct posture for prayer if there is such a thing? Um, Some of you are like, well, if I said right now, let's pray, most of this going, Some of you, when you were a little kid, man, when it was time to pray, man, you had to fold your hands thus and bow your head. Maybe some of you prayed by your bedside with your hands folded like this. Where did that come from? Well, your mom, you know, I remember my mom, Brett, fold your hands, close your eyes. It's dinner time prayer. Now, the reason she did that was wisely. She knew that I was a little rascal, and if my dad was praying, I might be tempted to take my little hands and reach over and pull Jenny and her Tammy's hair during prayer. Or, or I might be making funny faces to make them laugh during my dad's prayer so they'd get in trouble. So my mom would say, close your eyes, Fold your hands, let's pray. And so it's funny, we were all trained with that. Now, let me just say in defense of my mother and yours, um, that's not a bad thing to teach kids. And I still think it's good for some of you, you need to fold your hands and pray with your eyes closed. Um, that's all cool. But where does the biblical mandate to, to say that you have to fold your hands and close your eyes? First bag of Bolognians, that's where you find that one. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. It's not in the Bible. If you, you, know, you don't even have to really be a Bible scholar. If you could say there was a you know, physical posture, you know, um, um, wh- when it comes to like, for example, your, your mother said, close your eyes. If you took the Bible, where do most biblical prayer eyeballs go when people in the Bible are praying? Where do their eyes go? They lift up their eyes to heaven when they pray. That's, that's the, if there's a biblical model, that's it. Um, but we also see Daniel displaying another posture in prayer that you see kind of throughout the Bible, and that is the, the act of kneeling. That's not something your mother taught you. That's, that's actually a biblical thing. Luke chapter 22, verse 41, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying upon his knees before the Lord. First Kings eight fifty-four, we see Solomon the king as he's dedicating the temple in front of a whole nation. He goes to his knees in prayer. Why the knees? You know, kneeling upon your knees, there's something about that, that that sort of requires humility. It's hard to pray pridefully with, with your posture being that on your knees. You can stand for, oh Lord, I've got a few things to talk to you about. Um, but you can't really say it like that when you're on your knees. Oh Lord, I'm a wretched, miserable sinner. Uh, and you're humbled. There's, a, there's a, a posture that's not all about your knees, it's more about your, your heart, I think, is the idea there. The important thing is the posture of the heart. But I do love that Daniel, as an old man with crickety old knees, he's still going to his knees in prayer. I think that's really something. Um, So think about that when you're praying. We can learn from Daniel the posture, more about posturing our hearts. But you know something about literally going to your knees, maybe even looking up to heaven when you pray. Um, uh, It's always funny to me because if you were to do that today, if I said, let's pray, and all of us started looking up, you'd feel real uncomfortable with that. Uh, it's because we've been so ingrained that when you pray, you've got to close your eyes. Uh, the reason I'm trying to undo that a little bit is because the Bible says, pray without ceasing. And you and I should be praying as we're walking around work. We should be praying as we're cleaning the house. We should be praying as we're, you know, uh, visiting with our friends uh, with your eyes open, uh, praying in your heart, pray without ceasing, the Bible says. Uh, we need to undo the, the, well, you can only pray when your you know, hands are folded and your eyes are closed. Uh, the how is important here. So you got the who, what, when, where, why, and how. And, and devotionally, I hope that we're reminded of Daniel's prayer here to be a reminder of us to pray. But then we, we sort of conclude with a little longer discussion about this, questions, this question. Should Christians disobey their government? Isn't it funny where we're at in the Bible is where we're at in life? Right now, this past year and a half, two years, we've been faced with some interesting questions that you know, are almost Daniel-esque. You know, the, the, the laws that our government passes or signs. What, are there laws that we should not obey? Um, that's the question. You know, do Christians have to obey their government leaders uh, with such issues that are you know, specific about where you can and cannot go? That's an interesting one. What about when they say you, should, you, should, you have to wear something on your face? Should Christians have to obey that? The wearing of masks. Um, should Christians, you know, how far away should we stand from each other? And what if you don't agree with those you know, uh, directives? And what if they don't make sense and yet they're still mandating that everybody do those things? You know, here's the, here's the problem. Uh, we, have to, we have to talk about some things that are a little bit difficult. The short answer, by the way, to this should Christians disobey their government, the short answer is this, that that Christians are instructed in the the Bible um, to obey the governmental directives unless, unless those directives are contrary to whatever instruction God has already given us in His Word. Did you hear what I just said? We're supposed to obey the laws of the land and those that are over us um, unless those laws go against directly what the Word has told us to do or not to do, um, one of those passages, and I, I, I would like to show you uh, the Romans 13 verses 1 through 5. Uh, I like the ESV version here because it's kind of um, it's it's pretty simple to discern what's being said. Um, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Now pause right there. Some of you already have a problem with that. There are no authorities uh, uh, except those that are from God. Are you kidding me? Kate Brown? (laughs) Donald Trump? Joe Biden? Are you kidding me? Um, The Bible says there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. That's what Romans 13 says. This is interesting. Now, some of you are like, well, God must not have foreseen how wacko the leadership of 2020 would be, or 2021. Uh, He must not have seen Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Governor Kate Brown, uh, because that's truly wacko. What I love about this, as you guys, many of you know, um, if you're a history buff and you think in, in all of the world's history, who was probably one of the most wacko of all kings that ever existed, as it turns out, most people would agree, a guy named Caesar Nero. He was the most wacko of all leaders. If you, if you ever read or study about Caesar Nero, he was insane as, as much as any leader in history. He was the one who was in governing at the time Paul wrote this. That's, that's what I love about it. None of us can compare, well, Paul, what do you know about wacko leadership? Paul's got the chief of all wacko-ness and that's who he's talking about here. So that's kind of heavy. Um, they, they all, all that exist, they've been instituted by God. Therefore, it says, whosoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good uh, uh, um, conduct, but, but to bad. Um, uh, would, you, uh, would, would you have um, no fear of the one who is in authority? then do that which is good and you will receive his approval. Um, For he is God's servant uh, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. Who are we talking about? Who's bearing the sword and who's the one uh, there that's uh, enacting the justice or judgment? We're talking about law enforcement here, by the way. Do you understand that? Police officers are called the ministers of God in the Bible. Yeah, but how do you know they're even Christians? We don't, but they're still called ministers of God. Next time you get a speeding ticket, and the guy comes up to your window, say, "Did you know you're a minister of God?" Um, He might cuff you right there and take you to jail, but um, you probably deserve it. Um, (laughs) But but it says, you know, you're you're supposed to fear the one in authority. Um, Boy, that's funny how one of the problems of our culture is we don't fear law enforcement anymore. Uh, we think that's a bad thing. Uh, the, all law enforcement just should just be a bunch of fuzzy people who make sure never do anything scary or, or you know. Uh, it's, it's a funny, like, how do, you, and, uh, how do you do it? Well, the Bible says, it says, in fact, let's read on. For he is God's servant um, uh, for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Interesting, he throws that last line in there. Christians should obey government, not simply because they're afraid of the consequences, but for the sake of conscience, Uh, having a clear conscience before God, knowing that we're obeying the laws of the land. So this scripture is telling us, yeah, God puts government, he raises men and women up, and he puts men and women down and we're to obey the powers that be. And law enforcement, even military, by the way, fit into this category of uh, sort of law enforcement and what have you. Are there exceptions to Romans 13 where we should have civil disobedience? The answer is yes. And the Bible gives us all kinds of examples of that. Uh, let's go through a few of them. If your government tells you you're supposed to kill someone Um, Now, uh, there's a difference by murder that is kill versus battle or um, law enforcement. Um, We just read the the guy that bears the sword uh, as a law enforcement officer, they have the sword and have the right to kill. Same with military. But what if if, you say, well, who would ask us to kill? What government would ask someone to kill somebody? Oh, that's easy, China. China for a long, 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 long time has said if you get pregnant, you have to kill that baby in abortion. Like that's a mandate in China. If you have, a, there's only a certain amount of kids they allow, and, and like this is, this is what the government mandates there. And I believe that if, if there was a mother who said, I'm pregnant, and, I, uh, and, and she said, I will not obey, uh, obey the government of China, she would be biblically in good standing because the Bible says you're not supposed to take a life, even if it is a child. Um, do you want a biblical mandate there? Exodus chapter one, Pharaoh said to the midwives of Israel, uh, you know what? When these little boys are born of the Israeli women, make sure and kill them. That was the law of the land of the day. And do you remember what the midwives did? They they saved the little boys and they wouldn't kill them. And when Pharaoh said, hey, what happened to my rule? The ladies even lied. They said, you know what? These Hebrew women are so uh, hardy. They just these babies are just kinda of like popping out. We can't even get to them uh, in time and we don't have time to get there. That's what they, that's what they said. It was a lie, um, but they did it because they were saving babies. And you know what? Those women were commended by God in the scriptures. So you know, if, the, if your government in, in instructs you to kill someone, uh, you can disobey that government order. If your government in, in, encourages you to engage in false worship, you can disobey that government order. What do you mean? Daniel, remember uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The book of Daniel tells us where those three guys, Nebuchadnezzar built a statue and said, bow down and worship it. And they said, we will not do that. Yeah, but you'll be thrown in the fiery furnace. We will still not bow down to your image. They, they that, that's civil disobedience. And they were thrown in the fiery furnace. Remember the story. Um, there's, there is a time and a place to disobey a government directive. Um, if your government instructs you not to pray, You can't pray anymore, and by the way, some of you were told you can't pray in school. Uh, As your pastor, if you're in school, I encourage you to pray and break the law and enjoy it while you're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, you know, prayer in school, you can pray. Like I said, you can walk around the halls without closing your eyes, you can pray all day. Uh, That's ridiculous, but that was a law. You can't pray in school. Um, And any time that they say you can't pray, just refer to Daniel chapter six. Daniel was told, you can't pray to your God. And he said, "Uh, I'm gonna do that anyway. Civil disobedience. If your government instructs you to stop sharing the gospel, you can no longer preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, You can break that law. Um, Remember the book of Acts chapter four, verses 17 through 20, Acts five, 27 through 29. Acts 5, 40 through 42, um, constantly the disciples were told by the powers that be, you cannot speak this name of Jesus around town anymore. Stop speaking this name of Jesus. And you remember what Peter's answer was in chapter five? He says, we ought to obey God rather than men. So there he was saying, I'm going to disobey that rule of that governing authority. In other words, if a governmental leader instructs you to do something contrary to what God has already instructed in his word, you do not, by the way, you you not only um, don't need their permission, but I believe you might even have an obligation to disobey in these kinds of things. Um, Barring such cases, however, when the authorities, God has placed over you, instruct you to do something that does not contradict the word of God, you need to obey those authorities. That's what the Bible says. Now, I'll, granted, I'll give it to you, those are easy ones because they're kind of cut and dry. You can't pray, and we're like, oh, well, we're gonna pray. You can't preach the name of Jesus. Well, we're gonna preach the name of Jesus. Those are the easy ones. But I have to say, you and I, for the first time in our lifetime, we've been faced with ones that are a little more complex. Um, I wish I could say it was cut and dry about masks and church gathering and vaccines. I wish I could say, cut and dry case, man. We've got biblical reasons. I wish I could say that. Um, let, let's talk about that for a second. Here's a good example. When this whole coronavirus thing first came out, um, uh, you know, uh, one of the things we had to decide is, is it was part of this question, and I already knew this answer that I just gave you. I've been preaching this answer for years. Should Christians disobey their government? Well, yes, there's times where we would. So we were faced with this interesting thing you know, a couple of years ago, coronavirus, you got to shut everything down, including churches. And a lot of us were like, wow, I don't know about that, shutting down the church, but they shut down everything, NBA, Blazer games at the Moda Center, and everything was kind of supposed to be shut down. And they were talking about this pandemic that none of us knew how bad it really was going to be. And we we're all like, okay, well, let's see what happens and one of the things I told the congregation when I uh, got, first got with you guys, I said, hey, we're gonna shut it down to just be kind and loving and, and also see what this pandemic really is and how bad it is. And, but, but I said this from the day when, we will never forsake the assembling of ourselves. I mean, we might do this for a while. We might be online for a little while, but there's a date where we're gonna reopen and uh, that, that's not gonna be dictated by the state. That's gonna be dictated by the Lord. And I, I said that from the beginning. Now, some churches locally signed a document that said, we will abide by Kate Brown's mandates uh, till you know, death do us part. And they signed this, a lot of pastors, so they had to stay shut down because they signed the letter. I didn't sign that. And my leadership, my elders, we prayed about it. We decided not to, uh, because that's ridiculous. We don't sign our name to that. Uh, um, but, but uh, I'm not doing that for applause, by the way. Just, just, uh, just FYI. Um, I'm actually just telling you what happened. But, um, but, uh, so, so, you know, after a few months, we were kind of like, you know, uh, it's a little strange that this pandemic is not nearly what they said it would be. And uh, and we started looking at the numbers, and I was starting to say, hey guys, you, have, you got good news. You have a 98.997 percent chance of surviving this thing. It was nothing like the bubonic plague or the scarlet fever, uh, none of that. And it was really kind of amazing how how good we were all doing, really. Even though there was people really sick and there were people dying in various places, we understood that. But even with that, the numbers were not compelling. And then they started opening the marijuana dispensaries and opening the liquor liquor stores and all that, and and they were still saying, churches can't gather. And that's when we said, no, no. That's not gonna happen. And, and the reason why we, we believed that we had the right to do that, um, you might say, Brett, you, you can have civil, dis- you can break the law. And why would you? And I would argue that's true, by the way. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 um, tells us this. It says, listen, it says, you know, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as the custom of some do. This is, an, this is a mandate of the Bible. But did you know that's not, I mean, while I would say that is a reason uh, to be civilly disobedient, I just want to tell you guys, that's not why the governing elders here at the said, we're going to gather with or without the approval of the state of Oregon. Um, the reason we did that is because, I'll just tell you the real reason, because as it turns out, we felt for us to gather was us upholding the laws of the United States of America. We felt like the governor and these governors and people that were overreaching in their mandates, they were actually breaking, they're the ones who are breaking the laws of the land. Our constitution, the first amendment provides the church of Jesus Christ to be able to gather whenever and however we feel necessary. It's one of the most easy to discern, you know, um, uh, uh, you know parts of, our, of the constitution of the United States. I hope you, it's the first amendment. The First Amendment was, was, we were leaning on that. And it we weren't even making a, even a biblical case, even though I think we could have easily. We didn't even have to. We said, no, we're keeping the law and they're breaking law. Well, we started getting all those fiery letters from the state of Oregon and from Governor Brown and from the uh, Clackamas County Health and, and uh, threatenings to me personally. And, and, you know, and, and we knew that was probably coming um, but we just kept saying, no, we're we're uh, exercising our First Amendment rights, and um, and we're going to gather, and uh, we're being you know careful, and we're watching our people if they're getting sick, and we're you know we're going to be careful about all that. But we're we're doing what we're, we, we we know we have the constitutional right to do. Well, we just kept getting all the fire letters. Now it's kind of funny because um, we uh, we we actually. Um, it was kind of cool when we, we bumped into uh, who's now our attorney for this. Um, her name's Jenna Ellis. And we, it's funny how we called this Thomas More Society because they were winning battles down in California with some churches. So we called. And 10 minutes later, we get a call back from Jenna Ellis. And, and she says, hey, I love Aether Creek. I've been to Aether Creek several times. You know, we're like, what? And if you know who Jenna Ellis is, she's at like the tip of the spear on this fight nationally. And she said, yeah, I love, you know, Aether Creek. And she said, we, you know, they want to represent us. Uh, in case the state of Oregon tries to clamp down. Well, it was great because Jenna won five big court cases, state of California against churches in Southern California. Um, she won five of them and, and it was great because we were getting all these letters and then, um, and, and then she won one where four churches got $2 million a piece from the state of California as a settlement and that was in California. That same week, Jenna writes a letter basically saying to the state of Oregon, hey, we'd like you to leave Athey Creek alone. Um, they have the constitutional right to meet. By the way, did you notice my, my wins? Like, almost like congratulations you know, uh, down in California. And, and from that point forward, we've been very silent. And by the way, right after that, Governor Brown came out with a statement saying, we're not gonna, um, we're not gonna make churches uh, abide by all this stuff. And a quiet little announcement on the side. Uh, uh, that was because of, I think, Jenna's letter to the state of Oregon, and uh, it's because Athey Creek. Now, we were one of the first churches opening. A lot of churches were like, oh, you guys are a death cult because you're gathering and people are gonna die everywhere. And, and I just wasn't finding that to be true. Um, in a year and a half of meeting like this, in a year and a half of meeting, I didn't do one coronavirus funeral. We didn't have one coronavirus death that I knew of until just a couple months ago. We had our first guy uh, and it was sad. It was really hard. And it's, of course, some of you have had that and you know people who've died. I understand that. But at the same time, it's nothing what they said it was going to be. And uh, we, we feel that we've been very careful. Uh, we even shut down. You guys remember we shut down a couple of weeks uh, because some of our staff got coronavirus and we had a little bit of a, a staff demic that we dealt with. And, and uh, we were low on people and crews, and so we went online for a couple of weeks. It wasn't because we were forsaking the assembling, we were just being wise and saying we don't want to spread that and we want to be safe about it. Um, we're trying to be logical, normal people. Um, so that's what we did. Now, That's a tricky one. I just told you the reason at creek, it wasn't that we were doing civil disobedience. We believed we were actually holding up our laws and they were the ones who were breaking them. Okay, so Brett, what happens if we lose that constitutional right? Well, that's, that's another story. Religious liberty, I think it's hanging in the balances right now. And that's something you and I should be praying about. And man, we should be voting and making sure we don't get people in there that wanna take those liberties away. Of course, we're a nation of voters. Like we should take advantage of that, of course. Um, But then it gets even more complex. Okay, Brad, I get that you're gathering, but where's the mask? There was a law that you have to wear a mask. Can I remind you that none of these things are laws. All these things are called mandates. I'm just telling you the truth. When they tell you you have to wear a mask, that's not a law. Nobody voted that law into, into existence. they are uh, directives given by the governor. And you know, there's huge debate on whether masks are legit or not. So at very best, you might be a, a masker. And by the way, if you wanna wear a mask at Athey, we'll hug you and support you and that's great. Um, uh, some of you are skinny and stuff. You don't know what it means to be me. I, I need air. <laughs> I, need, I need fresh air uh, to breathe. You guys, you little, wimpy, skinny people, you know nothing. Uh, 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 but, but I also know some of the science. But, you know, most of the masks that people are wearing out there, like the cloth masks, um, if literally the science, if you throw a bucket of sand through a chain link fence, that's more resistant. That, that in a large scale, more resistant to a cloth mask and the coronavirus. I hope you understand that. Um, and, and we've kind of duped ourselves. And the mask has largely, I think, become a a symbol of virtue signaling, really. But but if you wanna wear a mask, you can. And so, again, First Amendment, we have the right to gather and worship the Lord without a mask covering our mouth when we're singing praise the Lord. I believe we have the legal standing to be able to do that, and we do that. Here's where I'm gonna put a tricky twist to the, the thing for you. What about you going to Costco? I'm not gonna wear a mask. I would ask you, um, are, can you before God say you've prayed about this, you've thought about it, you're doing what you believe God has called you to do, and, and we have to be really careful because some of these things start to get really tricky. Can you make a biblical case for you, even as we've had to pray through at Eighth Greek, why we're gonna meet and why we're gonna not require everybody to wear masks. If you wanna wear a mask, you can. Um, we believe we have a biblical solid reason why we can, we can do that. That's what you're gonna have to individually you know, understand, I hope you understand the church should never be dictating what you do. Um, the Bible tells us that you that as pastors, we get to be helpers of men's joy, but not to have um, dominion over your faith. that's what that's somewhere along the way, the church became the controlling agent of the church. we're going to control you. Here's what you can and can't do. No. I'm gonna share with you what the Bible says. I wanna be a helper of your joy, but I'm not seeking to have dominion over your faith. You have decisions before you, you're gonna to have to pray about. Do I wear a mask when I go into Costco? Is it a law? Is it a mandate? Is it Costco's rule? Um, and am I willing to break the rules of that individual company that's requiring that? Like you you have to, before God, answer your behavior on that, whether you mask up or not. That's, that's between you and the Lord. And even more controversial still, the vaccine. Should you get the vaccine? And, um, and people are up in a tizzy about that. And people are looking to the church, Brett, what should we do? Um, and, and this is tough because, again, the church, we wanna be showing you what the Bible says. And I'm gonna be the first one to say, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. Um, but, but here's what you know. I would recommend. Man, understand what's going on in the world. Um, you know, and, and, and what's really funny, one of the most divisive things, half the congregation would say, yeah, you gotta get the vax, of course. The other half, anti-vax, say, man, don't do it. It's not tested enough. Um, and, and, and you know, what's interesting is you can, you can hear all these people and the ones that you kinda can't believe in the most are like the CDC and, and Dr. Fauci, and like they've been saying mixed messages from the very beginning. And you kinda start to go, man, who are these people saying all these crazy things? Meanwhile, one of the groups I tend to trust, you know, the Israelis are about as scientifically savvy as it gets, the Israelis. They're way ahead of everybody on, on the vaccines. You, know, you understand that? Um, they were, like months ago, they were over 80% vaccinated in Israel. And, uh, and as you watch Israelis and how it's turning out, what's happening in Israel? They already got their second booster. So they got the first two shots. They got their third shot with the booster. And, and you can't even carry your passport around Israel unless you've had the, th- the, the third booster. And now they're saying you need to have the fourth. And pretty soon they're gonna mandate the fourth booster. And if you don't have that, you won't be able to shop or go around Israel. Meanwhile, the Israelis are saying, uh, the vaccine is not doing what we thought it was gonna do. And, and right now, more, they're having higher spikes of coronavirus in their hospitals in Israel with vaccinated people than they had before they even had any vaccine at all. That's what's happening in Israel. And the Israelis are the only ones who, for, finally the CDC came out this week and said, they're starting to talk about people who've already had coronavirus. Who's the safest people on the planet right now? It's the people who've already had coronavirus and already have the antibodies. And, you know, there was, they were trying to cover this up, you know, and stuff like that. But as it turns out, those of us that had already been sick with it, um, they're realizing it's long lasting. The Israelis came and said, I think it was, was it 23 times better chances of you being healthy and not getting sick than a vaccinated person if you've already had coronavirus. There's a narrative out there that wants to ignore that group of people altogether. Um, But there's all kinds of weird messaging and all kinds of, you know, I I can show you PhDs and doctors who are saying, oh, you got to get the vaccination and it's perfectly safe and perfectly healthy. I can show you other PhDs who are very intelligent and amazing people are saying, uh, we better wait on this. And maybe there's, there's a measure, you know, be careful. And, and, and we are realizing that high school kids, when you get it, you, there's, there's heart problems. these high, you're, you're almost more likely as a kid to have trouble with the vaccine than you are to have trouble with the coronavirus. So we've got all kinds of controversy. So Brett, what should we do? Vaccine or not? Seek the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. If you wanna get the vaccine Oh, Pastor Brett, I'll, I'll say, man, good for you. That's great. And I hope it all works out really well. You know, there, there, there's, there's guys in our church, Brett, I, I, I work, I'm, a, I'm a police officer and they're saying I gotta get vaxxed. And if I don't get vaxxed, they're gonna kick me off the force. I'd say, what crazy person would be law enforcement today anyway? People are so brutal to you guys. <laughs> like you guys are crazy already. Uh, law enforcement's the hardest thing in the world right now, especially in Portland. But if he wants to keep his job, I think he might have to get the vaccine. Or you could say, I'm not gonna do it. And hopefully 100 other law enforcement officers say, we're not gonna do it. And, and maybe they can be free and maybe you make a stand. I'd put my arm around you and say, that's awesome. But if you, if you realize, man, I don't wanna lose my job. Um, I was talking to one of our firefighters the other day and you know, there's firemen, the problem with firefighting is there's a long line of uh, young bucks that wanna be firefighters and they're, they're in queue. That's not true with law enforcement, but with firefighting, these guys that are in, you know, in, in these fire stations, it's taken them years to get in there and hard work. And now over 100 firemen in Portland are being threatened to be fired from their job because they don't want to get the vaccine. These healthy, in-shape dudes that are doing the hard work. And part of me hopes that they just all come together and say, we're just not going to do it. And what are they going to do, fire 100? The problem is they have 100 other young guys that'll take their place. And then they're out of a job. Like, that's a bummer to me. So if one of our firemen said, Brett, I'm gonna get the vaccine because I I wanna be able to pay the bills and keep my family food on the table, then I would support that. I'd say, man, get the vaccine. That's awesome. Keep your job. But Brett, he should stand his ground. Here's the problem. People are just crazily angry and divided. Isn't it interesting the Bible says, let not division be named once among you. That's the church. We, we, We are known to be God's disciples how? anybody? By our vaccination certification. <laughs> no. You will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. The vaccine is a very complicated issue. And I understand, you know, whatever side of the argument on, I, I have a strong persuasion one way or the other, and you probably are say, seeing hints of it, maybe, right now. Um, but, but I also... Respect people to 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 say make your own decision. There's no Bible verse unless you have that first Babylonians I was talking about earlier. There's no Bible verse that says you can't do a vaccine. Now don't send me letters about the aborted fetus in 1960 uh, and all that stuff. I understand that argument, um, and 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 I respect people that hold that and say yeah there, some of the vaccines we have today. But you you know uh, that's a long time ago, and there is even arguments that it wasn't an aborted baby. It was a, it was a um, uh, miscarriage of a baby, and, and then there's the ethical argument, yeah, but that, that's a person who didn't sign uh, their, using their, their tissue to save humanity with their, like, I understand there's very complicated things, but if you're, you know, harping on people for something that happened way back in the 1960s, and you're mad at them for that, um, I think that things are a little more compl- complex than that. You and I are, number one, called to love one another, and with these things that are debatable and hard to figure out, pray for one another. Encourage one another. Um, there's going to come a time, I believe, where the church is going to have to make even harder decisions than we've had to make even the last couple of years. You know, in Canada, just ask the pastors. There's pastors being arrested in Canada for preaching the Bible. That's, that's coming soon to a church near you. Uh, and if I get in jail, man, hopefully we can uh, I'll start a jail ministry. It'll be great. Uh, I'm not afraid of that, uh, but, I, but I do think that could be coming. We, there might be times where we will have to go against governmental laws, and we need to do that if it goes against the Bible, against God's word. We're not afraid of that. But on these issues that are really difficult, man, love one another, uh, encourage people to study and learn, and, but do what the Lord calls you to do, and then even if they do what you disagree with, still love one another. Um, I think we have to be really careful. If I'm Satan, some of you are probably thinking that now, all you uh, pro-vaxxers or whatever. Um, if, if you think I'm Satan, no, if I'm Satan, I, I think I would love to see the church of Jesus Christ divided by a bunch of stupid issues. Um, stuff that is important to our little microcosm, but in the grand scheme of things, man, let's divide the church. Let's get everybody angry about stuff like vaccines and about churches gathering or not gathering or closing down and when that church opened and when it stayed shut. Uh, Forget all that stuff. We need to love one another and do our best to do what the Bible's called us to do.